Welcome to the VIP Home Podcast, where we talk about all the things homeowners need to know. I always love to talk about bugs and pest control, and it's not something that a lot of people love to talk about. So uh, I'm happy to be able to share my love of bugs and pest control with with your viewers. I got into this kind of uniquely, um, as a lot of people do in our industry. It's not necessarily the industry that people say, you know, I want to be the bug killer when I grow up. Uh, or I want to play with bugs when I grow up. But uh, actually, when I was very little, I did have a pet scorpion. We found it in the garage. Uh, and my, my mom was like, you know, hesitant at first. It was just a little scorpion. We put it in a fishbowl and it turned out to be like the best pet we ever had. No way. Because it didn't need to be walked. You didn't need to take it. You know, it didn't <laughs> like bathroom breaks weren't a problem. Vacations weren't a problem. All of that. So that, you know, I went on to college, I was going to be a pediatrician, lost kind of the thought about having anything to do with bugs and got to college and I had to take an elective class for my degree. And I took an entomology class and kind of had this realization that I can play with bugs for the rest of my life as a job and went down, changed my major. Again, my mom wasn't thrilled, um, but <laughs> She's, ha she's happy now. I'm gainfully employed. She was a little worried at one time. Uh, I went through college. I, I ended up taking some time in between. I got a bachelor's and a master's in, in entomology, but I took some time in between and I worked in a virology lab for a while, uh, making vaccine components and stuff and came back to entomology and did the master's degree and kind of like fell into the industry doing structural pest control type stuff. And then I worked at a regional company in the Atlanta, Georgia area and times passed. Some things happened at that company. They got acquired by a larger company. I decided it was time to, to step up to the big leagues and come to the, come to the biggest. So I'm happy to be where I am today. Can you share a little bit about what entomology is? And I mean, I know it's the study of bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I can elaborate. Uh, it is entomology actually lumps in a lot of different things because we seem to be the catch-all for things that other people don't want. Entomology, by definition, is the study of insects, and insects are six-legged, three-body segments, stuff like that. Spiders don't technically fall into entomology, by definition, but we lump them in because they're the we're the closest thing to the study of in that aspect. In the pest control world, entomologists get lumped into rodent control, uh, other wildlife, snakes. I see Caroline's like shaking. Yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> the stuff people don't want. <laughs> yeah, I don't really mind bugs so much or, or and spiders are fine, but like you introduce the snake to the crowd and whoa. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a snake person myself, uh, okay. but, but we, <laughs> I will happily take a tarantula and like put it on my face. So I'm still weird. There's, <laughs> there's, <Okay. laughs> there's entomologists and then there's normal people. And I fall into the entomologist category. What's a day in the life look like for you? Yeah, so we get a lot of specimens sent in uh, that either our operations have trouble figuring out what it is. Uh, we get a lot of Facebook requests for pest IDs. Uh, customers, random fans of Orkin that follow us on on social media platforms will, you know, post a picture and say, "Hey, what is this? Hey, Orkin man, 
Uh, we're kind of the behind the scenes Orkin men uh, and women for that matter. We have a, a nice team of, of Orkin women that uh, are employed here. So that is one big aspect that we do is pest identification. It's really critical to the pest control process to know what you're trying to control. The second thing that we do is we problem solve. If there's unique situation going on in the field that an operation is having trouble with, or uh, maybe it's a pharmaceutical plant that has something going on that it's just highly sensitive. We can go out, we can assess the situation, we can provide recommendations for solving those type problems. The last thing that we do is uh, really assist our field operations in writing protocols so that they have the best, you know, we evaluate equipment, we evaluate products, and we write the protocols to help them have the best tools and the best knowledge and the best process to solve these problems the easiest way for them and the best for our customers. Can you um, share a little bit kind of as we go into the late summer, early fall, like what pests really become problems? And I know you said that you're like solution oriented, but like how if you don't before calling Orkin or before calling a pest service, like how can you kind of prevent some of these pests from doing harm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and harm is, you know, what we're trying to prevent. And I think the the harm isn't necessarily, there's, there's obvious harm that they could do to people, some, some pests, but there's harm to homes. And that's kind of the target that we're thinking about today is as weather cools off, we get into these cooler months, shorter days, these pests try and find some place to go. They're trying to escape the cold weather. They're trying to, you know, find some place to bed down, just like we kind of do during the winter months. We want to stay warm and cozy. So there's really two major categories of things that we could be facing. Rodents are a huge one. Rodents try and migrate into homes, businesses, whatever, during the fall months so that they can survive the winter months and breed at the same time. The second category, and we'll kind of get into the, what we can we do about them in just a second. The second category is what we call occasional invaders. And these are things that don't typically feed or breed in homes, but try and escape things like the cold, the hot, they're looking for water, they're looking for some kind of food resource, and they just happen into the home by accident. So call them occasional invaders. Mm -hmm. Some of the occasional invaders that we might think of would be box elder bugs. Box elder bugs, I get hundreds of friends asking what these red and black looking bugs are that come in mass to the side of their house or whatever. So they're predominantly black. They have some red markings on them when they're young. They're almost exclusively red with some very little light black marks, black legs and stuff like that. So they're just really bright and striking in color. And people are, you know, just see hundreds of them all of a sudden on the side of their house or, or whatever. And it's just a common occurrence. A lot of things will kill them. They'll go away but you want to try and keep them from coming inside. Stink bugs are pre predominant. We get a Caroline, lot of them. Yeah, Caroline mentioned she was from the, the New England states. Um, that is a huge area for the brown marmorated stink bug. It's an invasive species. Uh, it's kind of, if you think of what home plate looks like, kind of uh, home plate shaped, pentagon shaped, but that's more of what it's like. They call them marmorated. That means like speckled or patterned in color. And they're kind of this brownish pattern uh, on their body. They call them stink bugs because if you touch them, they release this chemical that stinks and it's a repellent to other insects and other predators. I have a question on stink bugs. Maybe yeah, it's a myth or a rumor, but I heard that if you 
kill them, that that stink actually attracts their friends. So you get more. So <laughs> while we find it offensive, that smell, uh, that smell can be an aphrodisiac to other stink bugs. They will use it to, it has some pheromones in it. Mm -hmm. uh, so they will use it to aggregate. They will use it to find each other. It also has some antibacterial qualities. So I'm not saying that we should take stink bugs and like, you know, clean our hands for COVID-19 or anything, but it does help them protect themselves from other microorganisms that might cause them illness. One thing that I don't want your, your viewers to do is suck them up in their vacuum cleaner. If you suck them up in their vacuum cleaner, that smell, that stink can get in the vacuum cleaner and like it is really hard to get it out. So it's better to trap them, throw them outside, you know, get them with a cup and a piece of paper and take them out or just grab them with a Kleenex or, or something like that. And you know, the Kleenex will keep the oil from getting on your hands. You can wash your hands afterwards, but they don't bite or anything. So it is, you know, it's something that you can just grab and get rid of and not ruin your vacuum cleaner. Would you say that there are insects that you would recommend or would be okay with using a vacuum to clean up, if you will? Yeah, so another occasional invader that we think about is ladybugs. Mm -hmm. Ladybugs, I highly recommend sucking up in the vacuum cleaner because okay. if you smash a ladybug like on your wall or on your curtains or whatever, they'll release this kind of orange stain. It's mm -hmm. similar to the stuff that a stink bug would release. You know, it's a, a chemical that they exude to try and ward off predators or whatever, but it will stain wallpaper. It'll stain paint. It'll stain fabrics. So by sucking them up with the vacuum cleaner, it doesn't let them squirt that out and stay on the surface. Most bugs, it's not a problem to suck up in the vacuum cleaner. Mm -hmm. It's really the ones that we think about like stink bugs that have this pungent odor associated with them that we don't want to do that. That makes sense. I always remember as a kid, like when I found a ladybug, I was so excited and my mom was like, oh no, you don't want ladybugs. That means like something's wrong or an infestation of sorts. So. So ladybugs are actually very beneficial. To have them in your garden is amazing. They eat aphids, which are pests of plants. Uh, they suck the plant juices. Ladybugs actually eat those. So they're really good to have around. Yeah, you don't want them inside. They will die inside. Other parts of the country, in like the Pacific Northwest, Colorado, uh, those areas, they actually get really, really, really bad infestations of ladybugs. So kind of like the stink bugs that we were talking about or box elder bugs that we get in mass in kind of these areas, in your area, my area, Atlanta, Georgia, the Southeast, they get mass infestations of ladybugs. And those ladybugs can die in the attic, in the wall voids, in you know places where you can't get to them as easy. And those bug carcasses, for lack of a better term, uh, can attract other pests. There's other pests that feed on dead bugs, so you can get secondary pest infestations from having dead bugs in your house. Maybe so, my mom was right in retrospect. <laughs> it's never good to have bugs in your home unless they're pets. So <laughs> the first thing that I, I would say to tell homeowners to do is walk around your house, not just walk around and say, oh, the bushes look, you know, pretty or the roses are nice. That's wonderful to do, but look for things that don't look right. 
scratch marks, bent gutters, pop mm. shingles. Those types of things are things that you know, are indicative of another problem. Something's happened to make that happen. And those are all oftentimes things that we're looking for when we go out and do an, an inspection. We have a little more trained eye. So we see things that, you know, a homeowner may not see, but fixing those type things or, or looking for a soffit vent or an eave that has scratch marks on it may indicate that there's been a squirrel trying to get in, a raccoon trying to get in, uh, some other type of rodent trying to get into the attic space. And that's that first sign that a homeowner might see. For occasional invader type stuff, sealing cracks and crevices, putting up screens on windows, making sure the screens are tight, caulking around plumbing lines, you know, any your cable line comes into your house somewhere, making sure that caulking that's around it is, is good and tight. Any your air conditioning, HVAC lines, making sure those are sealed around them. Any kind of penetration from the outside to the inside of your home should be sealed up really well. About two years ago, I had squirrels in my walls. I don't know how they got in through the roof. Somehow there was some kind of opening and it was my bedroom <laughs> wall that they were living in. And yeah, it was, there was just some opening and I guess they had sealed it. And then the squirrels tore it open again and came back in. And it was just something they were in the trees and they crawled into the house you know, as it got colder in like late September, October. and Any branches that are overhanging, touching, bushes touching the home, any of that, the more that can be cut away from the home helps pests from being able to jump or just walk right onto the house. If your bushes are 12 to 18 inches away from the foundation of your home, like cut away on the backside, from the street, you can't tell. Mm -hmm. right. It still looks beautiful, but it keeps ants from being able to walk from the bush onto the house and get in. Same with the trees overhanging. Keeps squirrels from dropping on. There's cockroaches that nest in trees that drop onto the house and, you know, will come in through the soffit vents and that type stuff. So all of that that you can keep cut away is a really good preventive tip as well. Yeah, I feel like we need all the preventive tips that we can get. How often do you think, or would you recommend like organ services or pest control services like over the course of a year? Is it like seasonally or twice or? If you're going to employ the services of a pest control company, mm -hmm. uh, typically they're, they're going to come monthly, bi-monthly or quarterly. Okay. Uh, and a lot of that is dependent on what region of the country you're in. If you're in a really cold climate, you may not need it as often, so they may come quarterly. But it is important that somebody's looking year-round because there's different pests that will come in the fall, then the spring, then the summer, <laughs> then the winter, uh, whatever. So your home is really under constant attack from stuff trying to get in, from keeping mosquitoes away or uh, keeping the rodents out in the fall or protecting from the spring emergence of a lot of different pests that that's kind of their big you know, it starts getting warmer, they start growing their population sizes, they start moving around more because it's warmer outside. Mm -hmm. uh, so it really is important that somebody is looking on a regular basis, depending on what you want to have them look for or how you want to do that. Companies are more than willing to come out on a one-time basis or come out on a regular basis. Now, do mosquitoes count as under your sort of control? Mosquitoes <laughs> are actual insects, so yes. <laughs> I get like horrific mosquito bites, like no matter where I am, just a million of them. Yeah, my oh. wife is the same way. You know, 
it bites her and she immediately gets like a, you know, big red welt that shows up. I fed mosquitoes in college. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't react the same way. And that's, okay. a, that's an important thing to remember when people, I'm not going to knock on the doctors because I wanted to be one, but you cannot diagnose what kind of insect or bug or spider or whatever bit somebody by the skin reaction. It's oh. absolutely impossible. Everybody reacts differently. Uh, we use bed bugs as an example. Some people react to bed bug bites. Some people don't. Mm -hmm. uh, some people react to mosquito bites. Some people don't. So the red mark that you get on your skin, the swollen red mark, is a, an immune response to, mm -hmm. to the saliva, to the histamines, whatever, that the bug bites you and injects. And everybody's body reacts differently to those. So we hear all the time, oh, well, that's a spider bite. My doctor told me it was a spider bite. Your doctor can't tell. Your doctor's seeing an immune response to oh. something. It could have been a bed bug. It could have been a mosquito, something else, a tick. It could have been a lot of things that bit you and produced that same reaction. It's important that you pay attention. If something does bite you, try and get a picture of it. Try and, you know, throw some tape on to it, something, catch it, because that helps people in determining what to do about that particular bite. My um, horror story for the day was going to be, I was at a sleepaway camp in a tent, sleeping in a tent, and I had this huge, huge welt, kind of like um, in the crease of my arm, and it, and ended up being um, a spider laid some an egg or some eggs in my arm. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I would potentially disagree. <laughs> um, they removed something. They, I think they did, that was more of the story, but it was like a huge oh. Where was the camp? West New Jersey. West New Jersey. I do not know of any spider that lays its eggs underneath <laughs> the skin of a human. So uh, there, there are other things that you know, <laughs> will not necessarily lay their eggs in your skin. There is like almost nothing that does that. Yeah. Um, but there, there are things that when they bite you, you'll get like an abscess type mm -hmm. thing underneath the skin from the reaction that your body has to it. And sometimes the easiest thing to do is pull that like pocket out surgically. Yeah, so. that's what they did. <laughs> awesome. And, and it's funny because I think like, you know, I was like seven at the time. So I think what seven year old knows the word abscess, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it became a story. I like, I, you know, like I tell that back to my mom. She's like, you have eggs in your arm. Like, <laughs> come on. But, you know, so that's the story though. My mom told me that if I ate watermelon seeds, I'd grow a watermelon in my belly. I got that one too. <laughs> that's not true either. <laughs> I had something, I was, this is a little bit unrelated to owning homes, but I guess it was, it was a summer home. My stepfather's from Sweden and uh, he, we moved to the States and, you know, it's, uh, was living here for a while, but he maintained this little cottage he kept in like the Swedish countryside. So in the summers, we would go over and visit his family and then we'd stay at the house for a few days. So I don't know if you have experienced like Scandinavian bugs, specifically ticks, but I was playing outside. I guess a tick landed on me and it like burrowed into my skin. And I had to have my stepdad take like tweezers and like pull the tick because it was like 
not just on my skin, but in that, <laughs> the craziest, like I can't, I remember it clear as day because we don't have ticks like that in America, to my knowledge. Maybe we do, but I'm not you know, an anthropologist, so I don't know. But I remember like having to like lay down and they'd like pull the tick out from like inside of my, it was like inside, oh my gosh. Yes. That, <laughs> so yes, we all ticks feed that way. So all the ticks inside of you. Yeah, they burrow oh. into your skin, uh, and and that's how they feed. Part of their salivary enzymes, the proteins in their saliva, make almost like a tube in your skin, and it helps the flow of stuff into their mouth. It so what they, like. <laughs> yeah, their, their head actually does like bury into your into your skin though. Um, there's there's also a fly, not we don't have them in the United States. Uh, they might have them in like you know South Texas or something. It's called a bot fly. Uh, the bot fly will lay an egg under your skin and it Maybe lives there. What I had. <laughs> I, I'm trying to I'm trying to say this in a nice way. It lives there until it hatches out and then it just like falls out of your leg or something. <laughs> where? Oh my gosh! I don't ever want to go where those are. <laughs> the CDC has seen a rise in tick diseases. So uniquely, uh, I moved into my house like uh, five years ago now. I moved down a little bit closer to work and everything. And like diagonally across the street from me is another entomologist. We're like, you know, 0.0001% of the United States is entomologists. And there's two on a street of like 15 houses or something. Are you guys best friends? We do talk a lot. You know, <laughs> not many other people will talk to us. So um, we talk a lot. He is actually a tick specialist at CDC. Wow. Uh, so, do you want to come on our podcast? <laughs> he might. <laughs> I'll talk to him. There is definite evidence of new ticks getting introduced into the United States, more and more tick-borne disease that people are being exposed to. So it is extremely important when homeowners go outside their house to wear repellents. The CDC website is a great resource for that. Uh, they have recommendations, they update their recommendations based on their research on tick biology and behavior to the best repellents. There is also additional guidance there for kids, women who are expecting mm -hmm. uh, all of this that we don't have time for on this broadcast, but your, your viewers could go read if they're in one of those special categories or want the latest recommendation on repellents. The biggies that people need to think about for making their home less hospitable for ticks, cut their grass. Tall grass is notorious for ticks climbing up them. They do what's called like flagging uh, and they'll stick out their front legs like this as they, you know, their back legs will hold on to the top of the grass stick. And they'll stick out their legs like this. And as you walk by and your pants leg or your dog or whatever, they'll grab onto it and go with you. It's important that you keep grass cut short so they can't do that. So tall grass is a no-no. The other is creating what we call ecotones in the yard. So if you have a wooded section of your yard and then there's grass that goes right up to it, put like a gravel barrier in between. That harsh break between the wooded area and the grass is a huge deterrent to ticks being able to cross. So it keeps your lawn better protected from anything that might be coming through the woods. Deer will transport them. So, you know, 
getting deer attractive plants out of your yard, things that they might be feeding on. If you have a garden in your yard that is attracting animals in, putting netting up around that to keep the the deer, the bunnies or whatever from coming in will benefit not having ticks deposited into your yard that are looking for some kind of host. The point Jacqueline made about taking it out, it is important that you remove a tick properly. You don't want to touch them with a, you know, people will put lotion on them, put oil on them, put uh, there's all these things about, well, when they can't breathe, they'll let go. They'll touch them with a, you know, a burning match or uh, something like that. All of those are horrible recommendations. To your skin, a burning match to your skin? To the tick. Because they think oh. it will make the tick let go. Oh. Um, the oh. tick actually, like their mouth parts kind of scissor or saw down in as they're burying in. They put in a, a numbing agent, so you don't feel them burrowing in. Um, but they can't, it's not like they're holding on, you know, like a dog to a tennis ball. They can't mm -hmm. just let go. Uh, it, so if you touch them with something or you stop their ability to breathe, what they typically will do is spit. They, they push fluids from their body in as they're letting go. And it takes them a while to, to work their way back out. But the saliva that they would inject into you is what potentially has the pathogens in it. The Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, the Lyme disease, the Powassan virus, all of those different things that they transmit are salivary transmitted. So if you smother them, if you burn them, if you, you know, do all of these different things, it could actually increase your chances of getting infected by whatever they might have. Oh my God. The best thing is exactly what they did to you, Jacqueline. Grab it with tweezers as close as you can to the skin. Pull straight out. It will remove it. They make tick removal devices and stuff that do that same kind of motion. You can get them you know, at retail stores. Online retailers will have those type of devices. Regular tweezers will work just as well. How big is a tick? About the size of an apple seed. They're not very big. So, you know, oh, yeah. just, you know, if I do this, it's really big. If I do this, it's really small. Um, but <laughs> uh, you know, about the size of an apple seed somewhere in that neighborhood uh, is, is what you're going to look for for the adult size. The young, what we call instars, the larval stages uh, of them, the babies can be really, really small. You may have heard the term seed ticks. Those are like baby ticks that haven't grown up yet, they can be as small as like a you know, period on a piece of paper or something and white or clear, really oh. hard to see. They're less likely to be transmitting any disease at that point because they haven't gotten to where they fed on infected things, mm -hmm. um, deer or foxes or whatever that are carrying these different viruses. It's really just the irritation that you get at that point. The other tidbit I would say on the removal is when you remove it, make sure you got the whole thing. If you've broken the head off in your skin because you pulled at an angle or didn't pull straight out, you can get some secondary infection type stuff going on. Yeah. If that happens, go see your doctor. You're not going to die from that, but <laughs> you could think that I have Lyme disease because I've gotten this you know, further red circular mm -hmm. infection type thing. 
And it's really that you just didn't get the tick out completely. Oh dear. <laughs> you had mentioned earlier that you had a scorpion as a pet. I mean, good for you. Glad you didn't have to walk it. Can you share like how common, if you didn't want them as a pet, you know, the commonness of them in your home and what you do if one is in your home? If you get a scorpion in your home? You... Run? <laughs> no, actually the majority of the scorpions that we have in the United States that would get into a home are not that venomous. I will mention the difference. <laughs> we do have some in the in the you know in the southwest that are fairly venomous. I wouldn't necessarily push them to deadly, but it would be bad. We have some bad yellow jackets. We have some bad wasps. It's not uh, that it's completely uncommon for us to have things that can make us sick when they sting us. I do want to mention the difference between poison and venom. Poisonous means that if you eat it like a poisonous plant, you get sick from it. Venom is injected and you get sick from it. So insects, I can't think of a poisonous insect. People eat insects around the world as a source of protein. They eat spiders, they eat scorpions, they eat all kinds of things. Venom injected snakes, scorpions, yellow jackets, all of that is what we're talking about. When we say something is venomous, it means that it's going to sting you, bite you, whatever, and make you sick. Got it. So what you should do around your house, scorpions are notorious for be, like getting into rock piles, gravel, wood piles that you might have around your house. So elimination of those things, if at all possible, or if you have gravel around your house, we often recommend you put gravel around your house as a barrier. A lot of insects don't want to cross that barrier, so it's a good kind of barrier for other things. Mm -hmm. Scorpions kind of like it though, and they'll you know nest in them and hide in them, and so it's a little bit different. We talked about sealing your home up really well, caulking, sealing gaps and cracks. Door sweeps can be really good to keep scorpions out. So making sure that if you're inside your home, you know, look towards your front door, your back door, your basement door during the middle of the day, the bright sunny time of the day. And if you see light coming around your door, something can get in it, some kind of pest. Scorpions okay. can smash really flat and get in. So making sure that that, you know, door sweep, the brush, the rubber, whatever touches the door frame, it doesn't have to scrape your floor all up. That's too far down. But when the door is sealed, closed, that you don't see light coming around it. Extremely important. If they do get inside, I don't recommend people like, oh, I'm going to throw it outside. I'm just going to grab it by the tail. <laughs> Trained professionals do that. Other people don't. Okay. They can sting you. Most of the ones that we have that people would run into, it would be like a bee sting, but nobody enjoys being stung by a bee either. So scoop it up with something, uh, you know, scoop it up in the dustpan and just throw it out the front door. Or if you really don't want to, you know, let it live, flush it down the toilet. Um, it'll be fine. Uh, it's not going to clog your pipes up and it's not going to come back later and haunt you in the middle of the night or anything like that. It's just going to go away. Uh, Hairspray is another good knockdown for a lot of pests. If you spray stuff with hairspray, it clogs up their breathing holes and they don't they don't last very long. That's a little sad. I it mean, is. I still feel like that just seems a little sad. It, it's just something that people tend to have on hand that will oh. work. I don't recommend like this is not 
pest control for, you know, you're going to quarterly go around your house and spray with hairspray. It's if you get a wasp in the house that you're worried about, hairspray can knock it down and kill it. I have a wasp that likes to come visit. So that's helpful. <laughs> Normally I just ask him to leave and he does leave. <laughs> He's actually like pretty nice. But he comes back and I'm like, can you go? And I open the door and then he leaves. But then every once in a while, he, there's, he, sometimes he comes back and then I just ask him to leave and he leaves again. But so I guess I don't have to do that to him. But if he gets aggressive, then I you have a great name. <laughs> I, should, I should name, you know, I, you know, he's growing on me because he's respectful. <laughs> Another tidbit for, for your homeowners to think about is if you get like ants in the house. I have uh, a lot of ants. Yeah. Obviously, they're coming in for some kind of source. They're coming in for something sweet. They're coming in looking for water or something like that. Using something like Windex, some kind of glass cleaner, it will help to break down the trail pheromone that they have and can help stem them from continuing to come into that same place. So. That Great news. I just, right before this call, I don't know why I, you know, I live on, I moved to a, a garden level, ground level apartment from a third floor. So I had the squirrel problem last time. Now <laughs> I have an ant problem. And I just sprayed with Windex before this call because I'm like, maybe this will do. So that's yeah. great news. It'll kill, <laughs> yeah, it'll kill the scouts and it'll help to remove that trail pheromone but it is not necessarily a solution. Look where they're going. Try and find what they're going to. Follow the little trail. And, my you know, in my kitchen. Drinking <laughs> <laughs> <In> water. <laughs> but, honestly, I feel for you. As a renter, you have a little less freedom than a homeowner does to, to do things. Like you mentioned the screen on the front door that needs fixing. One of our common segments that we do with a lot of our guests is homeowner horror stories. Maybe you could share a story. The homeowner horror story that I would bring up luckily is not my home and it involves bed bugs. Bed bugs really need to be managed professionally. Mm -hmm. I never recommend a homeowner try and control bed bugs themselves. And this homeowner had. It had gotten way out of hand. They had tried their own home remedies. It was to the point that when you walked in, there were bed bugs on the ceiling and they were dropping like on your head uh, as you walked through the room because they, they <gasps> could sense the carbon dioxide that you're breathing out and everything. And they were trying to find a food source. The biggie that I would say is don't try and do that. <laughs> the other thing that I, I will say drives me bonkers, but it doesn't drive me bonkers. It just upsets me. <laughs> when people just randomly use some kind of a product in their house that they don't really understand, that they don't apply correctly, there's a huge move to use diatomaceous earth. It's a naturally occurring product that is will kill bugs. It's slow to act on bugs, but people way over apply it. True application of diatomaceous earth or DE as it might be mentioned places is so light that you don't see it on the surface. It's like dust uh, that you might wipe off your TV or your entertainment center. What I've seen is that people will put it out in like piles and, you know, they're sitting amongst this dust that becomes then a respiratory hazard for them. And that's exactly what had happened in this situation. There was like, it looked like they had taken baby powder. It was DE, but it just everywhere. Their couch was covered in it. Their carpet was covered in it. Their bed was covered in it. And it could not have been good for their health. Not that the bedwugs were, but 
<laughs> the, their treatment was actually detrimental to them as well. That's my homeowner horror story. If you get bed bugs, sooner than later, try and get some professional help. Would you see a bed bug or would you know you had bed bugs? So they're about the size of an apple seed as well. Okay. Uh, and what you're probably going to notice first, if you don't react to the bites, is things that look like black spots on your sheets, like ink blots type things. And that's actually their fecal material as it's blood that has gone through their body and it's concentrated so much that it dries black. So that's what you would see is these little black spots. Sometimes they're shed skins because they shed their skin as they grow. But the first indication is going to be that blood spotting, fecal spotting on your, on your sheets and stuff. And what causes them? People pick them up from travel, from going to camp, going to the sleepaway camp and coming back, going to soccer camp, going to college, going to, you know, anywhere that you travel. Hotels might have them, uh, airports, you know, wherever you might pick some up and then bring them home and they get into your house. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's not that your home is dirty. It's not that you have done anything wrong. And that's why it's important to let people know, you know, let the professionals know as soon as possible so that we can come out and, and remedy it. The longer it goes, the more expensive it's going to be and the harder it's going to be. So quick and easy at the beginning. Wow. I'm literally going to like leave this call, go check my dog for ticks and go change my sheets. <laughs> <Wake up call. laughs> if, if I do have one or two last minutes that I can, uh, can mention something. Uh, if you do go and seek the help of a, a company to help you out, seek out somebody that uses integrated pest management. And that's integrated pest management is a system where uh, it's a process. It's an ongoing repetitive process where you assess the situation, you implement some kind of control measure, and then you monitor the situation for any new activity. And any new activity is then assessed, implemented, and monitored. It's a, it's a way to solve problems in a proactive measure. Uh, so implementing these things like sealing cracks and crevices and adding door sweeps are things that are implemented to add length of time to not having pest problems. You're solving the problem before you get it. Uh, and it is something that we do at Orkin. It's something that is very common in our industry, but there are some people out there that just come in and spray stuff. And that isn't necessarily the best way to have a, a proactive pest program in your home. Good to know. Anything else? Any last minute tips or tricks? Get somebody to come take a look. Most companies, we do, most other companies as well do free inspections. So call us out. Let us do a comprehensive inspection. We might see something that you haven't noticed yet. Maybe it's the squirrel in your wall uh, or, you know, that we may make a recommendation that, you know, we could really help you out with some mosquito control and, and knock down your potential for getting some mosquito-borne virus, exposing your children or your family or something. So some are quick tips and tricks that we might give you in person, but it's harder for us to do that without seeing your home and your situation in person. Really enjoyed this. I learned so much. Bugs. Yeah, I didn't know I would have so much fun talking about bugs. <laughs> That's what happens to people. <laughs> You'll be a pest control person soon. Never I'm really in. <laughs> no, but it 
it would be great to have you on again. This was great. And I think our viewers and our listeners will be just as impressed by all the bug knowledge that we were. Get more answers to your homeowner questions by subscribing to the VIP Home Podcast, available anywhere podcasts are found.